welcome to the Practice and Clinicians Exchange podcast, Heading into Migraine Management. I'm Dr. Maureen Moriarty, nurse practitioner. I'm the director of the Malik School of Nursing Professions at Marymount University in Arlington, Virginia. And I'm the owner of Moriarty Associates, a comprehensive headache center in Westminster, Maryland. With me is Dr. Karen Williams, nurse practitioner. She's the practicing deputy director of a headache center. Today, we'll be talking about best practices for diagnosing migraine and initiating individualized treatment. This program is provided by Practicing Clinicians Exchange for 0.5 ANCC and 0.5 AAPA credits. The 0.5 credits are applicable for pharmacology credit for nurse practitioners. This activity is supported by educational funding provided by Amgen and AbbVie Incorporated. To receive credit for this program, go to pce.is forward slash migraine. Our learning objectives for this podcast are to identify factors to consider in the differential diagnosis of migraine, to summarize the appropriate use of novel therapies for treatment of patients with acute migraine, and to formulate treatment strategies for prevention of migraine in patients. So Karen, it's wonderful to be with you and let's get the conversation started. Let's open with an expansion on diagnosing migraine. And when you see people who come to you and say, you know, at the end of a visit, oh gosh, I didn't tell you about my headache, but what I'm doing at home really isn't working anymore to manage my pain. How do you approach that in in making that diagnosis? Well, good afternoon, Maureen. Yes, that is a really good question and a good place to start, especially for folks who are working in primary care. That's usually the the question when the provider has their hand on the door, ready to leave, and they go, oh, by the way. My answer to that is to first know that uh, migraine and headache diagnosis really requires time. And so you really need to make an accurate diagnosis, and that requires time. What I would recommend, as long as there's no red flags, you ask them very briefly, tell me a minute about this type of headache. Is this a new headache? Is there... Uh, disturbing symptoms, that they're having neurological symptoms. And if not, there are um, a few different tricks you can do to kind of narrow it down a little bit. The first, there is a a three-question scale that Dr. Lipton developed, and it's called ID migraine. And it's three questions. The first is photosensitivity with a headache. The second is, does it cause inactivity? And the third is, do they get nausea with a headache? So PIN is the acronym you can use for that. Again, photosensitivity, inactivity with the headache, and then nausea. And if two or three of those are a yes, then you have a a 90% or above chance that at least one of these headaches is migraine. So that's a good first quick little piece. The other thing that I would ask is to give them a headache calendar or ask them to use a migraine app. Uh, Migraine Buddy is a good one. There's a couple of others out there on their phone, or they can use a handheld calendar just to be able to track their types of headaches they're having. It's extremely important to learn how often they're having that and how many days are headache-free so that we can get an accurate diagnosis out of that. After that, then I ask them to set up a separate appointment so that they can come back and have that appropriate time. Because again, we do need that time not only to have that accurate diagnosis, but then also to do the appropriate treatments and then the effective communication. That's great. Great place to start. Thank you. So 
The follow-up question I have to that, you know, how do you, we, we see a couple different benign kinds of headache disorders in primary care and, you know, probably 70 to 80% of all headache is managed at that level. So can you just give us a few tips on how to differentiate migraine, say from cluster and say attention type headache that the clinicians would see? Yes, absolutely. And that comes back to, again, when they come back in, getting a good description of that type of headache that is. So if it's a migraine, they may describe more of throbbing type pain. It may be on one side. However, sometimes it is on both sides and they may have that sensitivity to noise and light and nausea and or vomiting. The other part of that is migraine often, they are incapacitated. They have to lie down or reduce their activity versus cluster, which is very short stabbing types of headaches. They call this a suicide headache because it is so sharp and stabbing, but it lasts just for seconds at a time, but it comes in groups. And with those headaches, the patient doesn't want to lay down. They want to pace, or sometimes they actually want to, they, it feels good to just hit their head against the wall, which sounds terrible, but that's how intense that pain is. They can also have some autonomic symptoms such as uh, drooping of the eye or tearing of the eye, nasal discharge, those types of things. Versus tension headache, which can last longer. You can get that headache to last anywhere from a few hours to a whole week, but it's usually milder in intensity and it usually feels more like a tight band around the head. And the other difference I like to bring up is that with migraine, as I said, they tend to want to lay down. But with tension headache, actually getting up and moving around may actually help reduce that headache pain. So they're very uh, distinct as far as the, those three definitions or, or characteristics. And often what they're coming in with is the migraine because the over-the-counter medicines they've tried are not working. And the other part of that is once you get that description is to do that good exam. So you do want to do a good uh, exam to include a good neuro exam. And that includes looking as a fundoscopic exam, ruling out any type of papilledema. And if the primary care is not comfortable with doing the, the eye exam, I would send them to an optometrist or an ophthalmologist for a good eval. Often you don't need to do imaging, but again, if you see anything on the exam that is questionable, then further evaluation may be needed for that. So Maureen, I'm going to ask you, once we've made that accurate diagnosis, we, we get into the appropriate treatments. How do you decide, first of all, what makes a successful treatment? And then how would you treat both acutely? And then do they need preventative treatment as well? Thanks for that question, Karen. And I think just to uh, draw through what you said, it's really important for people to keep a calendar of their headache activity that is just so vital. You know, we tend to forget about pain. Our brains want to do that. And oftentimes we're not seeing people for say a month, three months, perhaps six months. And so one of the tools that's really nice to use is that calendar so that you can pull that out and get some objective data over time. So you can look and see, did I have more headaches three months ago than I have now? Which is a really nice way to judge whether your prevention is really helping be that a medication or perhaps a non-pharmacologic therapy that you might be using. So if you look at the benchmark that we see in a lot of migraine studies today, you'll see this 50% reduction. And I think probably all of us 
who have uh, been to a meeting in the last couple of years have heard about that as a secondary endpoint. So what that means is that you're looking at that calendar and you're judging whether there's really a 50% reduction in frequency, intensity, or duration of pain. So that's really what you're looking for. So you may have started a patient who had 14 headache days a month. Now they only have seven. Or perhaps they had debilitating pain, and now that's completely eliminated, even though the frequency may not be less. So that's kind of a general rule of thumb, and it gives us an objective measure to look at. The other thing that, that I tend to do as well is look at how my acute therapy is doing. And we have so many choices now, so many new migraine-specific medicines that I just think it's terrific. So Richard Lipton, again, who is an epidemiologist, neurologist who does a lot in the headache space has come up with a migraine treatment optimization questionnaire. And this comprises four questions. So the first is, are you pain-free at two hours? Which again, if you look at any of the migraine studies today, that's what people are looking at. But not just pain relief, but pain freedom. The second question is, are you still pain-free at 24 hours? And that speaks to the whole idea that with many of our patients, the a medicine may work, but then they have recurrence. And so we want to make sure we avoid that because overusing many of the acute medicines can lead to medication overuse headache. The third question is, okay, so you took your medicine and you're headache free. Can you function? Because with some of the products we use, they may be pain free, but they're so dizzy they can't take it at work or they're so tired they can't take it at work. So it's important to assess that. And just in full disclosure, I will tell you that until we had new medicines on the market, such as the Ditans and the G-Pans, that was a question I really was hesitant to ask people yeah. because I knew I had nothing else to use, but now I do. The fourth question, I think, when you look at acute therapy is really, how do you feel you're in control of your migraine? To what degree do you feel like even between attacks or interictally, can I live my life or I'm afraid to do anything because I'm afraid of that next episode? So that really gives you insight into whether acute therapy is working. So I really do use those four different questions. The other thing I think is really important to look at in follow-up visits is really the ability to function in our patients. I mean, that's really the name of the game. You know, they, they really want to be able to go about their life and, and do what they need to do and want to do. And so there are two tools I just want to tell you about. One is the MIDAS scale, which is um, the Migraine Disability Assessment Scale. And the other is called the HIT-6, which is the Headache Impact Test. Both of these tools look at three different domains. They look at someone's ability to work, either work inside their home, say do household chores or work outside the home. They look at your ability to say, engage in educational or learning activities and also to socialize. The biggest difference between the two tools is that the MIDAS looks at a three month period of time. The HIT-6 is a month. So depending on how often you're seeing your patient, you can pick one or the other. They're both to have terrific reliability and validity statistics. They've been used widely in migraine research. So if you're looking for an objective way to measure functional ability, you could use those with patients as they come in from visit to visit. Also, if you didn't want to go that far, you can also say to people, how often have you been incapacitated with a headache since I saw you last? How often did you have to take yourself out of the mix in terms of what you wanted to do or needed to do? And you can document that. But I think that that's really the key to really look at functionality, look at the ability to decrease frequency, intensity, and duration, and then also to look at how well medicines are working and not producing side effects. Yes, definitely. Definitely looking at all of those. And then prevention-wise, Maureen, what, where do you start with uh, starting a prevention medication? Because that can be so different 
or prevention treatment. Or I know, I know. And I think, you know, a lot of times we get a little nervous about starting prevention. We think, oh gosh, is someone ready for this or not? But again, I'll go back to the consensus statement from the American Headache Society. And what they really recommend is that if a patient is having, say, two debilitating migraines a month, say you've got a woman with menstrual migraine, she's in bed for two days every single month. If there are three headaches that are severe a month, or if there were four to six attacks, not necessarily associated with disability, that's the time to begin prevention because that really does help to stabilize the system. And if you're using acute therapy, which we typically do, we combine acute and prevention, it's gonna keep you away from that medication overuse issue. And that's extremely important to keep people away from that. So definitely everybody does get an acute treatment, whether that is medication or something else that they use, and then pending, they might get a prevention. That's what, I, what I'm hearing. So that, that is some great advice. And so let's, um, let's move on to some more specific treatment strategies. I think that that will uh, help our listeners a bit. So we've talked in broad terms, but Karen, can you just talk to me a little bit about some of the non-pharmacologic therapies that we have available to us and how you select appropriate candidates for those? Yes. So such an important point because there are so many, so many of our patients who don't want medicines, right? They, they're on meds for other things or they the medications they've taken make, and make them dopey or give them bad side effects. So it's really important, first of all, to find out what their lifestyle is like. Are they a stay-at-home mom or somebody who's in school? Or are they um, a woman in childbearing ages and she's trying to get pregnant? It's extremely important to look at that and to individualize that. One of the first places I like to uh, ask them is, what's their diet like? how well are they eating? Because we know an anti-inflammatory diet can be extremely helpful for them. Are they drinking a ton of diet sodas or are they drinking a lot of coffee? Those types of things that can really increase their migraines. The other part of that is how well are they sleeping? Uh, we do know that if a person is, is not sleeping well or if they have sleep apnea, that will increase their migraines. So looking at the diet, their sleep, also their mood. Do they have anxiety or depression? Are they having panic attacks or those types of things? So do we need to look at uh, including some mental health support in there? One of the ones that has really become very effective that we've seen is the use of cognitive behavioral therapy when we talk about the non-pharmacological treatments. And cognitive behavioral therapy helps the individual patient identify those contributing factors that could be increasing their headache. And it's based on a headache threshold. So we have a threshold that we have at baseline. And as more contributing factors get added in, maybe the menstrual cycle along with poor diet, plus they, they have a final exam or whatever else is going on, that spills over and then they have that migraine. So the cognitive behavioral therapy looks at ways to reduce those contributing factors or triggers in order to reduce the headache threshold. Also biofeedback, which helps with relaxation and looking at other areas. Are they a person who has neck pain? Do we need to look at physical therapy or chiropractic care for them? Um, also looking at other issues that, that may cause some problems for them. And one other thing that can be really helpful as a non-pharmacological treatment is actually exercise. 
So encouraging that patient to take up some form of exercise, whether that be running or swimming, yoga, tai chi, any of those can be extremely helpful. So again, it's looking at individual lifestyles and how we can modify those in addition to possibly considering medications for them. And so as we move into that, Maureen, I just wanted to know a little bit more. Can you go over how we select an acute therapy for them as we've already talked about the non-pharmacological, but there's, there's a plethora of acute therapies now. And what is your, your go-to for those? So again, um, Karen, when looking at acute therapy and actually preventive therapy as well, now I really look at where the patient is. Do they have any comorbid illnesses or diseases that will prevent me from using a particular class of medicine? The one that comes to mind are the tryptans, which are wonderful agents for acute therapy. They're migraine specific. But if somebody has cardiovascular disease, uncontrolled hypertension, has a history of a CVA, they're contraindicated in that population. So you really need to look at those things. The other thing I look for too, is I pick uh, an acute therapy, I look for a history of medication overuse. And just to give some definitions for our listeners, in people that are taking a tryptan, an ergotamine, an opiate, or a combination analgesic. So that would be even an over-the-counter combination, say acetaminophen, aspirin, and caffeine, or perhaps a prescriptive combination like butalbital, acetaminophen, caffeine. If they're taking those more than 10 days a month, that can actually contribute to the chronification of migraine. Or if they're using a non-steroidal agent or a simple analgesic more than 15 days a month, that can contribute as well. The other thing I do too, because we have such nice variety these days um, available to us, in many of my patients, um, they have already tried a particular medicine, have either had treatment failure to it, where they have not been uh, rendered headache-free. Or perhaps it's worked well, but they've had side effects associated with it, like dizziness, fatigue, things of that nature. So I would move on to another class of medication. Also, too, you know, I've mentioned non-steroidals a couple of times. They're non-specific medicines that we use for migraine therapy on an acute basis. But, you know, you need to really consider if you're seeing somebody who has a history of gastrointestinal issues, you know, problems like that, uh, perhaps someone with a history of hypertension, you'd want to avoid those agents. Right. And so as we go from the acute treatments, I know we had briefly discussed how soon you would use a preventative treatment, but then what are some of the preventative treatments that you like? Which ones would you choose versus other ones for the patients? Well, we have some preventative treatments that are um, available to us today that really have level A, level B evidence. And so these are standard therapies. They've been approved by the American Headache Society, by the American Academy of Neurology. They fall into categories such as anticonvulsant therapy, some of the antidepressant therapy, beta blockers, for example. And so once again, I really look at patient risk factors. I look at comorbid illnesses. So for example, if I had someone who was having difficulty sleeping, perhaps I would add a medication that would be a bit more sedating, say using a tricyclic antidepressant at bedtime. Maybe if I had someone who was a bit anxious and nervous, perhaps had a tremor. A beta blocker is a propranolol and temolol and metoprolol have level A evidence. I might add that. Say someone who had a BMI that was high, perhaps a medication like topiramate might be useful in that particular individual. And, you know, one thing that you've probably heard as I'm mentioning all these medicines, 
they all come from different classes of, they're all different classes of medicines and kind of borrow them from all different categories. You know, some are for cardiovascular illness, some are for um, depression and mood changes, some are for um, their anticonvulsants, but they're not migraine specific. So how do you pick some of the newer migraine specific preventive medicines? And again, I'll go back to the consensus statement that's been put out by the American Headache Society. And what they really recommend to us is that if you have someone who has low episodic migraine, meaning they have, say, four to seven episodes a month of headache and they're disabled by it, then if they failed two of those categories, so if they failed, say, the antidepressant category, they failed the beta blocker category, you could move to a monoclonal antibody or you could move to a preventative GPAM. If you have someone who has high frequency episodic, and so those are people that have eight to 14 attacks a month, you don't have to document any disability in those people, just that there's been treatment failure. And then you could move to one of the new medications, either a monoclonal or a GPAM for prevention. And then, of course, in people who have chronic migraine, which is 15 days a month or more, we know that the monoclonal antibodies are approved in that category and also on a botulinum toxin A, which has been approved for quite some time in the treatment of chronic migraine. So that gives you kind of a paradigm for how to pick some of those newer agents. I will say this too. You know, for many of our migraine patients with some of the older medicines, even though they're standard, they take many, many months to reach maximum efficacy. And sadly, we have people who get very frustrated with that. They either stop the medication that they're on. In fact, almost 80% of people discontinue their preventive medication prior to a year's time. So they give up. And then those individuals end up perhaps overusing medications or just fall away from treatment. So I think if you look at the efficacy, and the immediacy of effect for those newer treatments, I think we really can capture people and keep them under better control a little sooner. Yes, uh, thank you for that. I would, I would agree with that. And again, that goes back to looking at their headache calendar mm-hmm. and having that, that discussion with them, the effective communication in order to find out what's keeping them from taking that medication, right. you know, what is actually going on. So initially being able to see them a little sooner maybe a month or two after you start to make sure it's still something that they are utilizing. Sometimes they want to please us and they want to list something that they don't think we want to hear, but really what we want to hear is the truth about what's going on with them. Yeah, absolutely true. Absolutely true. And I think keeping the calendar, using some of those standardized tools for assessment, or even making sure you document in a consistent way will just help when you go to third-party payers. And you're looking at use of some of these novel therapies that can be quite effective for people. Right. They, they are definitely a new possibility. And they've just opened the doorway for anybody who is doing headache medicine. It's, it is a, a wonderful time to be involved in that. So it is definitely a boon for us. Yep. Well, I want to thank you, uh, Maureen. This has been a wonderful conversation. We've gone over a lot of valuable information today. As a reminder to our audience, don't forget to claim your CME CE credit at pce.is forward slash migraine. Thanks again for listening. 